Well, good morning. If you're here in the room with us or if you're joining us online, so glad to have you be a part of this uh, really special service today. I just want to give a, a little bit of a special thank you to the two men you just saw here, Tim and Chris. Uh, they have, uh, along with me, been able to uh, just throughout these last five years especially to uh, just kind of be helping me in, in uh, I guess, overseeing, watching, seeing what God has done. Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the New Testament, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. As most of you know, today was announced as an outdoor service. We were all going to be together on the, uh, the parking lot back there. And uh, because of, of rain and delay again, we do not have a, a parking lot to uh, be on there today. It just kind of fits 2020, doesn't it, that uh, plans change day by day, week by week, whatever you, uh, you might expect, and uh, then something that you, you don't expect. So uh, as will be announced at the end of the service and in, in the bulletin you have it too, is our absolute plan is that possibly next week, provisionally, uh, potentially, we will have an outdoor service, maybe. Uh, but uh, do keep uh, your eye on the uh, website and on the uh, uh, church Facebook towards the end of the week to see uh, how that all is developed. And uh, do pray that there would be the, the weather and the uh, construction progress that uh, we would need for that. Uh, we're taking a two-week pause here in, in this time uh, from our prophecy series to focus on both celebrating Multiply and reminding us really what the campaign was all about because it's what the church is all about. The celebration we've just mentioned is to celebrate that God has provided the funds for the completed discipleship center and the yet-to-be-completed parking lot. But the reminder is most important, I guess, because going forward, it's will we be multiplying disciples for his glory. We had a poster on both sides here for a couple of years that uh, said that we are seeking to multiply disciples for his glory. That is, that there would be more and more people following Christ. How, how needed is that today? More and more people to follow Christ for his glory, not just for our growth, but for his glory. And so we want to focus on that because that's our task, whether we had built a building or not, whether the parking lot ever gets done, or no matter what the current events or concerns are, that is our task. And this little passage here in Timothy is, is one good place to kind of see that lie, lie in, in, on black and white where you would see, well, how do you personally get involved in multiplying disciples? Because it is, first of all, personal, and then it becomes something that goes on to others. Verse 1, you then, my son, Paul talking to Timothy, who was his spiritual son, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified or able to teach others. It's pretty simple. But basically, there are two commands. There's two uh, imperatives, if you like grammar. The first one is, in verse 1, be strong. The second, in verse 2, is entrust 
to faithful men, to, to, to other people. Be strong, pass it on. Be strong and pass it on. See, Paul had a lot at stake here because Paul knew, and we'll see this later this morning, Paul knew that his time on earth was very short. He only had a matter of months, it turns out, to live before he was martyred for the faith. And his concern is that the most important thing would be continuing. But that would require that Timothy personally take responsibility to be spiritually strong and pass it on to others. And the fact that we're here today, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, the the fact that you care about following Christ is because someone was strong. And someone passed it on. That's really been the process of Open Door throughout our 43-year history. The, The building or a parking lot is just one more piece of God's provision so that we can keep doing what God has called His church, the church, all churches, including ours, uh, to do. Uh, as, as, as Chris mentioned a few moments ago, as really seven years ago, where the idea was first uh, in, our, in our hearts, and then five years ago, really, when the campaign effort began. And I realize that many uh, who are listening here today, you weren't here for that which is actually the purpose. Because whether the building was complete or in progress or whatever it is, we wanted to see disciples multiplied. And so through this season, we've rejoiced when uh, we have seen people come to faith in Christ. Just even recently now, uh, some people who have come to an understanding of the gospel, faith in Christ alone. So we rejoice at that. We rejoice at any step of spiritual progress that you or others have have made during this season. We do rejoice at at, at the numerical growth as well. Now, the numbers are a little bit fuzzy since March. (laughs) But as best we can tell based on on, on viewers of our ministry and those who have been in attendance, the church family is bigger today than it was in March. So we rejoice that God even uses a season like this to multiply disciples for his glory. It's kind of um, ironic, humbling, but exciting that God would choose a time after giving us the building when he would, in a sense, shut it down. We wouldn't even be using the building, but he's multiplying in spite of it. I think he kind of smiles at that, kind of emphasizing, I think, to us that the whole point was not to multiply property. The point is to multiply the people who are following Christ. And so we'll smile along with him and look forward to how we can uh, utilize that which he gave us. Here's my burden going forward. Will we be effectively making disciples, I'm going to pick a number here, 50 years from now as a church family? Will we be communicating a clear gospel? Will we be helping people stimulating them to grow through his word, whatever the world looks like 50 years from now. Um, Some of you remember in our prophecy series just a few weeks back, I I started out by saying, if you knew Christ was returning in the rapture on Saturday, how would this week be different? It should be different because we should have this sense of urgency because Christ can come back at any time. He hasn't told us when. Let me change the scenario and the question. What if you knew for certain that Christ was not coming back until 50 years from now? How would this next 50 years 
be different for you? How would you seek to ensure that Open Door Bible Church throughout those years, and you personally and wherever God takes you, would be making disciples? What, what should we really be doing now so that the tiniest people in the room or the tiniest people in your home, some not yet born, others who have not yet walked through our doors, so that they could effectively follow Christ? 50 years from now, I expect to be dead on earth and alive in heaven. How about you? You're all doing some instant math, aren't you? If you're 15, you're going, yeah, yeah, I'll still be here. <laughs> uh, if you're 40, 50 or above, you're realizing, oh, wait, that's not me. No, it's not. It's not. You won't be worrying even how your 401k lasted or whether Social Security continued because you're out of here. But here's what's going to matter. Whether there are people following Christ because of your impact combined with the impact of others because God works through the local church. Um, when we launched Multiply, I remember mentioning that uh, buildings last a long time. In fact, uh, these buildings will likely last most of, outlast most of us. And so as you gave, you realized you were giving mostly to benefit others, not yourself. And uh, thank you for that. I mentioned a couple of years back as well, you might recognize this, this concept. This part of our facility that we're in right now, the worship center, was completed 26 years ago. Um, it was built and paid for almost entirely by people who are no longer part of Open Door Bible Church. They've moved on to heaven or, or elsewhere. In fact, in our church directory, if you count, it's about 220 entries, singles or families. And according to my count this week, in 1994, when this was complete, only 22 of those 220 were part of the church family in 1994. So 90% of us didn't give towards this building, and so someday there will be another bulk of people who didn't give. But, but that's not the point. Those people represented by the 10% still with us and all those who were part of us in that day were the ones who were praying for you. They're the ones teaching Sunday school to you. Some of you, when you were kids, now here you are as adult with your kids. They were the ones encouraging you. They were the ones... So we, we need to begin to see life and, and, and God's work in a much bigger picture, a bigger timeline than the way it seems like, especially this year, everything is squeezed down to this week, next month, what's going to be like next year. We see things in such a tiny perspective. We need to broaden our view, and it'll happen as we focus on what these two verses are teaching us. Are, am I growing strong spiritually, and then am I passing it on? Are you thinking like a spectator of a game or a coach? You see, a spectator can decide if they want to watch a game. A coach is committed to helping others win the game. If this ministry that God's at work in this area is to be effective 25, 50 years from now, it's because 
more and more of us will catch the vision of a coach. And so the question is no longer, what do I like about this church or something? It's how can I help someone grow? How can I be the church? How can I help somebody else become or be the church? It's only if the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, we entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Let's look at the issue of strength, first of all, verse 1. The main command is to be strong. It's a command that we are responsible for somehow because it's a choice. Every command you see in Scripture is a choice. You may or may not obey it. And so there will be some in the body of Christ who are spiritually strong and some who are not, and everything in between, right? So a command is always a choice. We all know why flight attendants tell us that in case... The loss, there's a loss of cabin pressure and those masks come down. They always say, be sure you put yours on first before you help your children. And it's kind of like, what? And then you go, oh, duh. <laughs> because if I pass out, I can't help my child get their oxygen mask on. You, Timothy, be strong, then you can pass it on. So I think it deserves our attention to think through what really is spiritual strength? What are some characteristics of someone who is strong spiritually. Let's just, these are just samples, okay? That would be a prayerful person because spiritual strength, and catch this, spiritual strength is all about our humility, dependence upon God, and that's what prayer is. The more humble we are, the more we pray. So we need to recognize we, have a, we, we need a prayerful dependence. That is a spiritual strong marker. The fruit of the Spirit, then, would be things like Galatians 5, and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. So these things mark our lives if we are spiritually strong because the Spirit is producing that in us. Again, we're dependent, aren't we? Therefore, we can resist temptation, not on our own strength, but because the Spirit gives us self-control or whatever the need might be. It's all part of the same package, trusting God. You, you, you will be marked by more peace in tough times as God gives you strength. Because otherwise, we kind of fall apart, don't we? We are worriers by nature, but a growing trust in God is a growing dependence and thus a growing strength. A strong person will be more others-focused. They will be serving other needs because they realize they've been given strength, not for their own you know, power-lifting, look-in-the-mirror kind of a thing, but rather to benefit others. And so then there would be a person who is committed to multiplying disciples. So maybe that just gives you a snapshot of what, spirit, what you're going for. What would spiritual strength look like? So what does this verse say is the key to having spiritual strength? It says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you read it fast, it just sounds like nice Bible talk. That's, yeah, yeah, that's the kind of thing you expect in Scripture. Be nice, be, be, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Is, is, is Paul just giving us filler? Or perhaps the, the whole key to what it means to be a follower of Christ? Has he captured how we have spiritual strength to follow Christ and pass it on? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In fact, uh, 
technically, grammatically, and if you have the ESV, English Standard Version, you're, that's, this, this is what you're reading. Be strengthened, in, or be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because it's actually in a passive voice. That is, you are not strong because of what you do, but actually you are commanded to be strong based on what somebody else does. Does that make sense? How can you be strong? How can you be commanded to have strength that somebody else gives you? That's the spiritual life because you are only strengthened by someone else. That is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So it is the grace that is in Christ Jesus that will strengthen you. But it is up to you to yield that you are benefiting from the grace that Christ gives you to be strong. A couple of verses that keep reminding us of the same point. Acts 20, 32, Paul says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. So that's why this, this book is so important to you, to us, to our spiritual growth and our spiritual future is because God's grace flows through here and we begin to realize how humbling and dependent it is that only God can make us strong through his word and our obedience to it. Hebrews 13, 9, it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace and not by ceremonial food. You see, the problem with the Hebrew Christians, the Jewish Christians getting that book is that they were still trying to do all the sacrifices. They were still trying to follow all the Old Testament rules, which had been expired because Christ fulfilled them. He says, you think rule-keeping is going to make you strong? No, you're strengthened by grace. 1 Peter 5.10, and the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, steadfast. Keep, keep in mind the word grace means undeserved, unmerited. So in other words, if God strengthens you, you don't, just like you didn't deserve to be saved, you didn't deserve the spiritual growth that he gives you either. And then 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge. See, we could come together here and have Bible studies and do all that and just grow in knowledge and completely miss what spiritual growth is about because we need to grow in grace. We need to be marked by grace. So what does that mean? Are you focused on God's grace for you? Are you absorbed in how Christ, how God treats you because of Christ? That apart from Christ, your sin would have you headed directly towards eternal condemnation in hell. Are you cognizant of what it means to be forgiven instead of condemned? Because the more you are absorbed in the grace of God, you begin to respond to the grace of God. You begin to live grace-filled, grace-conscious, gracious towards others, seeing others differently. Another way to look at uh, spiritual strength might be to contrast it to self-strength. Are you growing strong in the grace of Christ or are you trying to grow strong in self? Self-strength means something like this. I'm strong because I know the Bible more than most. Or I'm strong because I can see what others do wrong. I have the gift of, I have the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> which we call discernment, right? 
I'm strong because I have disciplined rules that I follow, and, and this, is my, this is my process. This is, this, is, this is what I do. I'm strong because I do a lot of serving. You can count on me. I sign up for everything. I'm strong because others give in to me. I just must be a natural leader. Okay, now, I, I realize I've kind of tainted some of these otherwise good things, right? But do you see how these sometimes good things, it's good to have self-discipline and serve. Do you see how that can actually be pride? And spiritual pride is never spiritual strength. Contrast, what does it mean to be strong in the grace of Christ? I'm often amazed and thankful Christ died for my sin. The cross is a constant reminder God gives me. I constantly realize how patient God is, is with me. See, sometimes we can be all focused on, I'm saved by grace. And then we go on and we just live the Christian life by trying to earn and deserve and impress one another. No, I realize constantly how patient God is with me. That is, I have a, a, an awareness of my own sin. It's a, a sense of I need God's strength to have peace. I know that I'll go, go to pieces unless Christ is giving me those assurances. And I sense that the Holy Spirit is correcting me. I see a whole lot of, my, of myself in sin instead of just others. And therefore, I can let the Holy Spirit correct others too. It's become something I can release. And I tend to give others the benefit of the doubt. That's part of a grace-filled life. If you met Paul, and you met Timothy, assuming he followed and, and learned from Paul, what would, you, what would you notice about them if they were strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus? If you meet someone marked by grace, you probably met someone spiritually strong. Grace marks strength. When God's grace begins to make you strong, you don't need to be motivated by others to serve, to be in the Word, to pray. You, you begin to find the, the Spirit of God begins to work in you. Grace motivates. One of the announcements today is about uh, our need for children's workers need to the nursery and children's church and, and uh, the kids build teaching and helpers if we're going to restart those ministries. Um, this might seem contradictory. I think they're going to say there's actually 32 slots to fill. Here's the thing. If you were to say yes to that, please don't do it because there are 32 slots to fill. Don't do it based on need. Don't do it because it would bring a smile to Pastor Nate's face, though it might. Don't do it because you feel guilty. Don't do it because, you know, I got a duty and I got to do my time. Do you see how sometimes we think? Do it because the Holy Spirit is working in you and saying, you know what? I want, I want to see God work through me, probably in an area that you're even uncomfortable doing it in some way. 
And it may not even be a children's ministry thing at all. God has you do it. It, it might be someone you're going to go have coffee with. It's going to be someone you're going to make a meal for. It's a neighbor you're going to start a conversation with. And, but, but see, God is the one who begins to work in us to lead us, direct us specifically, and enable us to impact others and pass it on. So if we are growing strong by grace, in a sense, this stuff just kind of happens. And it's, it's exciting in, 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 in church leadership through the years when you just see that someone says, I, I want to do this. How can I help with this? And you go, we didn't have an announcement about that. But you know that God has been doing something that way. Grow strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. As Paul wrote this, as I mentioned, he knows his days are limited, so how can I impact others? So he writes this letter to Timothy and says, you, you need to continue this process. You've maybe seen, if you're acquainted with this verse, uh, kind of the, there's actually four levels of multiplication you see worked out just in this verse alone. You have Paul, who, who the Spirit of God worked in, and he's serving Christ and planting churches, and then he has uh, passed that on to Timothy, and Titus, and Epaphras. I picked Epaphras because we recently went through the book of Colossians. He's the one Paul taught that went then and planted the church in Colossae. You could add Luke and many others. And then he says, entrust those things I've taught you to faithful men. So if each one begins to build their life into others, you have many more now, the faithful, and then they will be able to teach others also. Now, I, as I was making this slide, I didn't have room to get all those in there. And then I thought, you know what? It's actually kind of realistic because not everybody is faithful that we invest in sometimes. And so sometimes, you know, but someone was faithful if you are here today. Because Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, and through the ages, someone has been faithful so that Christ can multiply his church. The things you heard me say, Timothy, what did... What did Timothy hear Paul say? I think he heard, he, heard Timoth, he heard Paul say verse 1. In other words, Paul has been teaching about how the spiritual life is finding strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So if, if, if Paul's been teaching that spiritual strength comes by, as an outflow of the grace that's in Christ Jesus, then make sure that you are teaching those things to others about the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So there's a, there's a question. Does your family hear you speak of the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Is that, is that the impression they would have? Because I know the temptation that I, that I had as a parent with younger children was, I, I was always tempted to use those great passages of the Bible that would kind of address the misbehavior of my children. <laughs> so convenient. Children obey your parents, that's a great one. It is. <laughs> in the Lord. And so, but are we just using the scriptures as a rule book or as a display of the grace that's in Christ Jesus? Do we talk with our children with humility that shows our need for God's grace? Do the people who know us best see us as in need of God's grace? Do we communicate gratitude, uh, forgiveness? 
giving people the benefit of the doubt or whatever is the, the grace need of the moment. I take it that Paul talked a lot about the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and that is what he should pass on. Christianity, someone has said, is always one generation from extinction. The fact that we are here means that someone told someone the gospel who told someone the gospel, and, and so we are saved by faith in Christ alone. John three sixteen, because someone told someone, Christ, Christianity is one generation from extinction. Um, someone has said God has no grandchildren, and that is, each person is individually born again, but yet, in terms of generations, we do need to communicate that to each one. But Christianity is not only one generation from extinction, it's always one generation from anemia or weakness as well. And that is why we, we need to communicate the grace of God so that there is a work of God, that we don't communicate a view of Christianity that is casual, uh, nor frantic, or bitter, or judgmental, but one that is rooted in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you've heard me say this in the presence of many witnesses. My first thought is, Paul teaching behind a podium like this, and Timothy was sitting there, he heard that. And he did. Paul, Paul was an upfront guy, and, and so I'm sure he was, he was the teacher, the main teacher that people would, would, would see. So Timothy heard that. But I got a feeling this is, this is in it something far more than just the public setting of teaching. Because Paul and Timothy were partners in ministry and traveled together. And, and so Paul, or rather Timothy, heard Paul's heart in all kinds of conversations with two people, three people, four people. You know, they're talking to Jacob in the marketplace and Abram and his wife at tea in the evening or whatever it might be. And, and, and Timothy begins to get the sense of how Paul functioned spiritually, what was going on inside of him in discussions before and after and how he treated people, how he talked to people, how he talked about people. All are part of strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you know what you learned from me, then be sure to entrust it to others, faithful people, faithful men. Entrust. The word entrust uh, literally is to put into somebody else's care. Okay. Here, it's yours. In other words, Timothy, you can't, you can't do it all. And the same reason, because Paul has modeled this and given ministry to Timothy and, and said, Here, you, you take, take the church in Ephesus. Now, I'm going to leave you there to take care of that church. I'm entrusting that to you. It, we have to tell people it's their turn, and, and, and you lead, you guide now. Give others a chance, and trust to others. The first wedding I remember was uh, my aunt, uh, aunt's wedding, and I, I think I was five or six, and uh, I had a job at that wedding. I was a gift carrier, and I felt really good about that until we started doing it, and I was really the gift carrier along with my older brother and my older cousin. And they didn't let me carry any of the boxes that had breakable stuff in them. I got, if there was a, you know, a towel or a, or a blanket, I could carry that. I'm still kind of bitter. But they, <laughs> but they wouldn't trust me with the breakable stuff. Too often we don't trust people with the Word of God, that the Word of God can 
they can teach it. And, and, I, and I hope that we can, can bring about an environment and that if you've been a part of the church for the years, you realize that people are asking you to do things you don't feel quite ready to do. That's good. But then that we would all kind of be coaches and entrust things to one another. And that's why you can teach that Sunday school or that adult Bible fellowship or you, you are asked to, to, to be a part of, of that training process. But you do need to look for this, faithfulness. This term that uh, Paul used here uh, is defined in the Greek lexicon, worthy of responsibility and accountability. Worthy of responsibility and accountability. In other words, they don't just go off on their, on their own. I know that uh, Pastor Nate or Pastor Seth and their different ministries, they, they oversee that. They're looking for this reliability. And I see that I see so much of that happening, even in this season, as, as we've been, been hearing of different uh, people with a minister idea and, and checking and look, working with uh, Seth, and we're going to start this, and you've seen some of those in the bulletin. It's exciting to see we're reliable people. And now you may be saying, well, I'm not a teacher, and that, that, that's okay. Not everybody's going to be teaching in any public setting or so, something like that, but everyone has something to contribute if God's at work in your life. And it has to be communicated somehow. And it's not just by having an official teaching position. But it does require relationships. Because if God is at work in your life, then what he is doing in your life is, is valid and can be shaped and, sh and sharpened by others, but can also stimulate somebody else. So you're going to have to be in some kind of relationships besides the spectator relationship. Some place where there's more honesty, more transparency, where it's something you are learning. And that's, that's the purpose of other ministries that a, that a church would try to organize. Bible studies, adult Bible fellowships, or whatever. But it's also the purpose that God would have for your relationships. And that, that you would not just look for a social connection, I like them. But rather you would be, be taking the initiative to reach out to people that can either help you grow or you can help them grow. And we begin to see that relationships are crucial to our spiritual growth because we all have something to contribute and you're never too old for that. Don't ever count yourselves out because of your age or your failures. Because if God's at work in you, then he will use both your experience as well as including, which includes any mistakes. And man, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, that is, you are a teacher. Uh, teaching your children didn't start when the pandemic sent everybody home and you suddenly were homeschooling. You've been teaching parents who have children at home now. You, you've been teaching all along. You've been teaching what you prioritize. You've been teaching your, your moral values by, by, by what they see of your moral values. You've been teaching uh, your view of the Word of God and the place it has in your life. You've been teaching, uh, you're teaching just by, by gathering around the Word here today. You're teaching that, 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 uh, that God works through His Word, God works through His church. What can you do, though, to help assure that your children and your grandchildren have the opportunity to know how core the word of God and the people of God really are. Some of you have seen in the prayer chain this week that our friend Carol passed away this week. 
Some of you knew, of course, Ed and Carol through the years. I remember when Ed and Carol came to uh, our church family. They were in their late 60s some years ago. And uh, they both uh, came to faith in Christ. Uh, had the privilege of, of baptizing them. Uh, just on the other side of this wall out here when the church parking lot was back there. Ed often told me, he passed away like eight years ago now, Ed often would bring up to me, I love being in church and hearing the children fuss. I didn't always share his joy. <laughs> but do you know what he was saying? He, he had come from a, from a church setting where there were no young families, there were no church, no kids, no one was fussing. He said, I love to hear the babies cry and the children fuss in church. He taught me something. He taught me something. And so we are blessed with young families and children, and, and we look forward to how God just can use us as a church family and the facilities he's given us to minister to them and their children in the next 25, 50 years, if God tarries in his plan for the return of Christ. And then the fourth phase, Paul, Timothy, faithful, who will be able, qualified to teach still more. It's the multiplication process continuing. Some of you know the um, parable that Jesus told, actually a couple different occasions. Matthew 25 is one of them. We're told about how this master gave five talents to a servant. Now, the word talents was a measure of money. Gave five to one servant, gave two talents to another servant, gave one talent to a third servant. The master left. It wasn't their money, but they were supposed to take care of it for the master. The master returned, and the one who had been given five talents of money said, here, I made five more. Invested it. The one who had two talents had invested it, had two more. Remember the one that was given one? Said, I buried mine. Dug a hole and buried it. Keep it safe. And obviously, the master was pleased with those who invested, displeased with those, with the one who did not. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. It's a key to enjoying God and God enjoying us is to be partners in ministry and seeing the word of God, the grace of God, multiply and make disciples. What were the traits of the servants who received five and received two? They were faithful, and I would suggest that means diligent, reliable, and eager, starting place anyhow. Diligent means they take initiative. Uh, no one needed to remind him to get going on investing those five talents. I am, I am constantly impressed by volunteers here at Open Door who are taking initiative way beyond the responsibility they had and find creative and better and more effective ways to do what God has put on their heart. Uh, I... I, I not always, but I 
hear about people who have reached out to people and, and serving someone, and no one told them to do that. There's a diligence, sense of initiative. Reliability. The guy with the five talents didn't forget to show up for a meeting with the investment. They didn't decide, you know, I got something better to do. Um, and again, I, applying it to the church setting, it's, it's, uh, it's such an encouragement when people are just faithful and, and you know they'll, they'll be there. Reliability is so key. Um, uh, God doesn't most use the gifted. He most uses the faithful. If there's any trait uh, that, that God is looking for, it's that. And then you see the eagerness. As, as the man said, he seems excited. You entrusted me with five. See, I've gained five more. Because his heart was in it. It's this, this thing that only the grace of God can stir in us. And that's, I guess, what I long for you, for, for anybody that is in your realm of influence, is that there would be this, this uh, spontaneous work of God to that you would be excited about what he is doing in you. Are you a spectator? A player on the field? Or do you actually have a vision for coaching? Are you a disciple first? Grow strong. And then are you a disciple maker? I think Pastor Seth is doing the announcements, and I'll just give this plug before he talks about it, but... I see that uh, the announcement is in there one more time for the men's discipleship. Um, the point is not that you're getting prepared to do a certain thing, but that you would be growing strong so that you would do the thing that God has for you next. Because we can trust God to show you what and how and when. This letter was written by Paul to Timothy in the last few months of his life, as I mentioned. We don't know. The Bible does not say when and how Paul died, but there is a strong historical tradition that he died yet this same year. Um, executed on a certain road called the Ostian Way, west of Rome, ordered by Nero because of his proclamation of Jesus. If you look at chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Paul knew this was coming. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. He was imprisoned. I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, on all accounts, somebody watching that, day, that, that event unfold would say that Paul was losing. He was losing whatever legal appeals he had. He lost uh, in terms of any... Thing, you know, in terms of the, the politics of Rome. In fact, he was executed by the very Roman government that he urged Christians to obey in Romans 13. But did Paul lose? Look at verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He wasn't looking at the present. He was looking at the future. He says, there's, there's a crown of righteousness. I don't really know what that all means. I don't know what the, all the rewards are. We just read the servant who hears, well done, good and faithful servant. That sounds pretty good reward to me coming from God himself. The crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge 
will award to me on that day. And not only to me, this is not a Paul thing, but to all who love his appearing. In other words, as we've been studying prophecy and we think about the return of Christ, are we living in anticipation of being with Christ? Because it really transforms whether it's this week till Saturday that Christ returns or whether it's 50 years from now. It's the anticipation that this is, this is where it's going. Look at verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Almost sounds like he thinks he's going to be released, but no, that was his first time in prison from which he was released. This is the second time he was not. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his kingdom. Kind of sobering. He means, I know I'm going to die. But he will bring me safely to his kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, I'll win. Because I'm going to be safely in his kingdom. Just so happens this week, I looked at two cemetery plots for Priscilla and me here in town to buy. I'm not morbid. I'm not ill. I don't even think I'm old. But I wanted to take care of that. It was kind of sobering, but in a good way. Because it reminded me just how temporary we all are. In 25 or 50 years from now, no matter who is standing here, no matter who is elected president, no matter how long we wear these masks, what will matter is if we were strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and entrusted these truths to faithful people who passed them on faithfully to somebody else. We need to pray about that. And we need to make that our focus to multiply His grace to those maybe younger, maybe newer, maybe some not yet born. And pray that uh, we can impact someone who maybe 25 years from now are parking their self-driving cars on the back lot over there or, or hovering on like the Jetsons or something. Or 50 years from now when most of us won't be here that they will still be making disciples because what we're celebrating today is really not what is finished, but what God has begun and will continue to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are needing this perspective of how short our life is in, in the scope of eternity and even in the scope of the succession of generations. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to that which you call us to do. Help us get there the right way, and not on our own strength, but to be strengthened by the grace that comes only through the gospel and through Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.